Coming up, today's guest is a games entrepreneur for the last 15 years. He previously founded Next Games, Iron Star Helsinki, and was an early employee at Supercell. You'll discover what he would do differently if he were starting his game studio today, what small game studios can learn from big game studios, and his biggest lesson from going IPO. All that and so much more. The most action-packed content from the top mobile experts. This is the App Masters Podcast with Steve P. Young. Check ASO is an analytical ASO platform that provides you with up-to-date data on keywords, competitors, ratings, and reviews. It also grades your ASO level and gives you custom tips on how to improve it. This way, you can increase your app page visibility, organic traffic, and installs with every update. Try it now for free for seven days at checkaso.io. That once again is checkaso.io. B7dev.com is the app development firm dedicated to helping entrepreneurs go from app idea to success. Because they understand startups and don't charge you huge fees just to get your app off the ground. Learn more at b7dev.com. What is up, App Nation? It is Steve P. Young, founder of AppMasters.com, the place you go when you want action-packed content related to growing your app business, whether it's through downloads and revenue. And we've been really, really fascinated by more of the retention and the monetization side because we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about here, you know, growth is great, but if you're not retaining, if you're not monetizing, it's not going to really work out for you. Today, I've got a phenomenal guest and fellow podcaster. He's got a great podcast. If you're into mobile games, he's had some phenomenal CEOs and co-founders of some tremendous gaming companies. So you have to check out the podcast. It is called Elite Game Developers or search for it in your favorite podcast app, or go to EliteGameDevelopers.com. He actually started his own gaming studio that he later IPO'd, and we're going to learn all about how he's able to do that. But without further ado, let me introduce the guest. His name is Joachim Akren. He is the founder and CEO at Elite Game Developers, and he was a co-founder of Next Games. Joachim, welcome to the show. Thanks, Steve. It's great to be here. All right. Well, let's start off with this, man, because you started the Next Game Studio in 2013. So talk to me about this because you got the podcast now. You talk to some amazing people. I love doing a podcast too. Is there anything that you would do differently today in 2020 that given, you know, maybe like without the pandemic as well, but (laughs) that you would do differently than what you did in 2013? So many things like my sort of life changed a lot when I uh, kind of stepped away from being a founder in a games company last year. Uh, I think like that was a big shift. So I, I've, I've always been making games my entire life, but last year I figured that, uh, okay, I want to, I want to help out people who are, who are starting games businesses who want to make games, want to make a, you know, pay pay the bills with the the games like they're making like how do how could i bring back help to those people uh of course like when i'm supporting them i i can 
probably like partner up, uh, you know, do small angel investing, things like that but to help help these entrepreneurs. So uh, how do I actually like get the word out? So I started Elite Game Developers, which is a so like an online game startup school. I'm every week putting out new content for founders, for entrepreneurs who are thinking about getting into video games as an entrepreneur. Like, what do you need to think about? How do you attract external capital for your company? Things like that. That that really changed a lot from how I was thinking about what I want to do as my career as an entrepreneur in 2013 when I really wanted to build a big games company. Now I'm sort of like building this new thing that's totally different from what I previously did. Yeah. But it's it's still like uh, I'm still an entrepreneur for sure. Oh, no. I mean, it, just creating content. I love just being sort of the pulse of the industry and you get to talk to so many people and themes develop. So if you were starting a game studio today, would you try to seek funding? You know, so here's a question I get a lot, Joachim. It's that, should I go to a publisher? Should I self-publish? These are like common questions that I get from the audience. And so what would you be to anybody that is starting obviously listen to the podcast but what would you be doing differently if you were starting next games in 2020 yeah well if if i if let's say go back to like when i was doing my first games company which was 2005 like 15 years ago it's like i was a coder uh i wanted to do my own business i had the, the itch for a startup and that was super hard there was no information out there about like what do you what do you need to do at that first stage um, so it's a lot easier today when you have uh, a lot more companies around the world who are doing gaming games business itself is probably like it's 10x what it was 15 years ago like yeah. crazy <laughs> like yeah so you can find a lot more people to ask questions ask for help that's what I'd go back and tell myself 15 years ago. Okay, just like go and talk to those people at, you know, we had Remedy back in the day, Max Payne, Alan Wake, those cool games. They were doing those in Finland. I would have, you know, asked the CEO, like, you know, can you help me out a bit? What should I do right now? So I'm, I'm kind of like trying to push people to check out my content because that's the way to, to actually scale the help versus, you know, every day taking calls with people that doesn't really scale. But when I write it down on a website, on a blog, it's like right. thousands of people around the world. Yeah. The, the other thing I want to, well, what would you say to that person who is saying, do I seek a publisher versus yeah. publish? And that's a tricky question always. I think like the more experienced you are, the more, uh, more it's kind of easier to go around the publishers and do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Then, then you're going to do all the marketing bits, try to create the community, uh, which is all, already like a really like a step towards learning more about the industry, how it works, because you want to have a direct relationship with your customers, the players. But the publisher can do a lot to accelerate your learning. So you can work with the publisher and learn from them. And then, you know, maybe take your next game idea to the market independently. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. 
And you have way more experience than I do in terms of mobile gaming, but I kind of feel the same way. Like it's a, like you've learned throughout the years, it's a long journey. And so when people look at publishers and they look at a deal, like obviously you don't want to get screwed by a publisher because if things work out really well, there's, you know, I've had friends who've had some bad experience with publishers, but at the same time, you're able to learn a lot. So if you're in the beginning of the career and you haven't had so much traction, like working with the guys from Voodoo, if you're doing a casual game, you're able to learn what they see, what they look at, how they test different mm-hmm. ideas, and then how they market, and then hopefully leverage that back into your own self-publishing. I mean, just like what you talked about, like go talk to these people, go listen to yeah. podcasts, you learn from others, and then you build, it's like building blocks, that's the way I see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And and you, you can go and look for the people who are the best at giving feedback and helping you grow versus there's a lot of of people out there who specifically just want your build you know we're going to just send us a build we're going to see how it works and then they give you the numbers but they can't really give you like good feedback on the creative side uh on what's working in the game what's not working you want that as well you want the whole thing do you see on this front of maybe self-publishing, you know, independent game developers. And that's the one I checked out from you. It was, I forgot who the guest was here. I have it in my podcast app, but he was talking about self-publishing and he was a part of the early Rovio team. What do you see any like common mistakes, whether it's through the podcast in your career, do you see common mistakes that indie game developers have versus the ones that are funded in the bigger game studios? Yeah, it's, uh, there's so many <laughs> it's tough to pick one uh like the uh, in a sense like when you're when you're in gaming for a while you start uh, having all, all these ideas that you want to you know go after that you never got to build your dream game now i'm gonna do it but there's there's certain ways that that is actually gonna be like harming you later on so I'm a big proponent of you want to find your audience versus making a game for yourself. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's the number one lesson that indies should think about. Like, of course, you 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 could know the exact genre really well that you want to tackle with your own game, but start with the audience. Start thinking about somebody else than yourself enjoying the game. You want to entertain an audience in a sense. That's the, the big takeaway for the indies. I'm going to butcher his name, but it's Tumas. How do you say it? Erkan? Yeah, pretty <laughs> okay. close. It's, All uh, right, it's Tuoma, episode 18. It's, uh, yeah, it's Tuomas Erikoinen. <laughs> He's, uh, he had the part-time monkey and then he did uh, double loop uh, games now, which uh, does, what was it called? Bow uh, something, Bowland. Mm-hmm. It's a cool mobile game for sure. Yeah, Bowland. But one of the key things I took from that episode was he was early on. He's like, I was a junior person at Rovio and he yeah. saw the company go from 50 employees when he first joined all the way, you know, we've heart, heard all the Rovio stories to 11 people and a sort of Angry Birds was their last ditch effort. But one of the things I heard and along the lines of what you said, Joachim, is that 
they're playing the game internally and they have this leaderboard and they're like, well, we actually have something here because everybody's really invested. Granted, they work for the company, but like you can only fake so much of it, right? Yeah. And it's like, yes, they're all enjoying it. They're all competing. And I don't think these game developers do enough because they might see a hit and they're like, oh, that looks cool. Let me create something very similar with a small little twist. And then are you sick of your game? How long can you play your particular game? Are you know, send it to some kids. I know like when I give it to my son and he's like, I'm out, then <laughs> you know, you might have a problem there too. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the way to see and reveal things is to give it to other people to play and to watch them play and try to be a check objective about like what you're seeing versus uh, like kind of, you don't want to look at the places where you think uh, these, like where you, have problems but try to figure out new things each time you see somebody playing and pick up from there what's going on usually the controls are the, the place to start with all the games totally you know we had a great episode with it was a youtube live that we did but with david reichel who did color switch and he was talking about like all right you hit a big hit with color switch like how do you do that and he was just really really going into in-depth details about some of the things he was considering so i recommend go checking out but the next thing yeah. i want to move on to with next games is you co-founded the company you ipo'd and i want to learn about some of the things that you learned through the ipo process but the licensing so there's walking dead you have a lot of walking dead titles no man's land you have stranger things blade runner was licensing a key part of the strategy, sort of the growth strategy. I've heard other people talk about it. Would you still do it today? What are, what are the lessons learned from the licensing deals that you've de dealt with? Well, I think it was an opportunity that we couldn't really, you know, pass on since our CEO had worked in, in, in the entertainment business for 15 years. And he, he had the connections for in, into Hollywood. He, he ran a, uh, an outfit there in in the states in in LA uh, for for a bigger like virtual world company uh, back in the day called Habo Hotel, and he was doing a lot of uh, he was creating the relationships with the studios with the producers there. And what we decided to do is like, hey, we we could create our own games, but there's this huge opportunity to go after these big IPs who want to get into gaming, mm -hmm. who want to work with people who know what they're talking about. And we started pitching, pitching that to the studios, to, to AMC for Walking Dead and to investors. And I think that we just noticed that this is a really good opportunity to go and do something different. And we, yeah, definitely wouldn't pass on that opportunity ever. <laughs> like I think <laughs> it, it just made so much sense. And, uh, you know, of course, like, you know, Walking Dead isn't as huge as it used to be. Uh, it just, uh, and uh, the, the main show ended. Uh, so the, there's of course like this kind of like, how long can you like actually like build on top of an IP? I think the, the fan base will never really go away yeah. and there's more, content coming on that IP anyways. Uh, so if you just structure those deals in a way that it makes sense for every party to be, to be involved, that there's profit to be made, like, yeah, it's really good. 
Yeah, I love it too. I know one of the, from my various podcasts with game developers, one of the big things that comes from a licensed field is that organic traffic. Like you have people searching for Walking Dead, you're going to rank really well for it. And so you got this built-in organic traffic growth engine. And with your expertise on the gaming side, whether it's retention, monetization, you could really build a great title, profitable title. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anything from, is it, we're like, do you, I guess, for game developers, the next thing I want to move on to is to like when they're thinking about retention, because I always talk to the smaller guys out there and I always say, mm-hmm. hey, look, you know, when I'm working with these game, big game developers, they spend a lot of time in soft launch, like really tweaking their metrics. Whereas these smaller guys, they really think about, oh, I like this game. It looks cool. This game worked. Let me just launch it in the app store. And they don't spend enough time tweaking and fine tweaking and figuring mm-hmm. out the LTVs. What are the things that you see? You're like, hey, you know, I used to run this big gaming studio. Here's our process for it that you think would lend well to the indie small gaming studios as well. Yeah. Well, I think you want a time box, like how long you want to wait until you know that something's going to work or not. Like how much effort do you put into to tinkering a game until you need to say, hey, this is just not interesting enough for a market that we can't find an audience for this one. Uh, let's move on and start another concept, find another game. I think that's that's often like hard to kind of time box the whole process of, you know, here's the here's where we started, and this is how long we're gonna give life to this thing to discover and there's a lot of people who still like when they leave bigger gaming studios they're they're approaching a startup that hey we have we need to have 12 to 24 months to to build out the game before we know if it works or not and that's that mind like that shifting that mindset that they had from the bigger studio is sometimes really hard but the the indies yeah you got like a lot of people who are alone making games Right. putting them out quickly to see like how it works and then moving on to the next one. There's not that much quality put into place and the polish level isn't that high enough. So I think that the opportunity there is in people who figure out like, this is, this is my audience. This is what I'm tackling. I'll put more quality into each game as I go forward. And I think that's that's a really interesting way to bootstrap as well if you can get into like ad revenues and, and things like that early on. Are there specific numbers that you try to reach? Let's get a minimum of 10,000 downloads, whatever that number is before you decide, hey, you know, is this working? Is this not working? Yeah, I think you can you can easily see on the the retention numbers, how many people come back on following day after they install. Uh, so of course, like, you know, you want to get that into the, like at least half of the players coming back so that it, it really like matters later on that you're, you, you need, you can put effort and to get some return on your efforts. So I, I think there's, it's too easy of an opportunity to try out a lot of things let's say like you know you time box it into one month that we need to test this after four weeks of development and see the retention numbers i think a lot of like learning from there is that how many tries do you want to put before you you run out of cash really (laughs) and i'd rather optimize for a lot of trying you know on a lot of concepts 
because it usually boils down to the core gameplay anyway. Yeah. So just get some Unity asset store graphics and go for it. It doesn't need to be too polished to get the first like retention day one numbers. Yeah, it's so true because you know we a lot of my audience are more casual game developers, and so like I talked about Voodoo. For instance, we've had a couple of people back on on Voodoo, and it's like, look, they look, I think it's like 30 to 50. can't remember the exact numbers, but day one retention. And usually, I don't think I'm breaking ranks here, but they don't need a very polished game. Like, you know, give us a raw prototype. We're going to test it out, and then we're going to look at the retention numbers. And then once those retention numbers are there and they meet the minimum mark, then they're like, okay, we'll publish this game. So it's big. Yep. Yeah, that's the biggest learning for like any mobile developer or any game developer. They should look at like what's what is the great thing about hyper casual. It's actually this rapid game development that they've come up with. Like you can add a lot of content on top of uh, a core that works, an experience that really works, but you don't need more effort to figure out if it's like the first test you're gonna do, like compared to the hyper casual folks. I think. Would you say that the biggest factor for retention is the core gameplay? Definitely. From my experience from 15 years, like that's totally like, yeah, anybody can come along and prove me wrong, but <laughs> that's how I feel, feel it usually goes. You can, of course you can try out to, you know, tackle a niche uh, gaming audience that uh, will then require a lot more built out fleshed out features like if you want to go and uh tackle somebody like marvel strike force with their jrpg gameplay that's that's not going to be easy to just you know voodoo test that really <laughs> to, to actually have you know something that you could say that this makes sense to fo- like go forward because you're you're trying to beat an incumbent like scopely with their game so that's like but you're if you're going after something that's real casual uh if you're even going after something that might not be as casual as you think but the core gameplay is sort of unique i think that that's worth already testing and then just build on top of that it seems like and look i trust your 15 years but it seems like instead of tweaking like hey should i make these graphics better or should i do this it's like work on the game gameplay sure. right like you know what i mean like if you can get that right it doesn't you can polish the graphics that's the easy part yeah or a tutorial uh making a better tutorial has never really like you know <laughs> blown the game from you know from the bottom to the to the top of the list so so you put that in lower priority like don't forget so much on the tutorial too exactly oh i yeah. like it all right you got any more uh i think like in a sense you can already spot so much when you're playing the game between your teammates who are making the game and with your friends and family you can already spot this if this is like you know going anywhere and like that's a big mistake that a lot of people do when they enter they start thinking about free to play mobile that they're building a game and they're sort of relying that the soft launch will save them. <laughs> but it, you know, oftentimes you, you should be able to spot problems before you need to put them into the app store. Like there's a lot of obvious things. Like if you then put it on the app store and your day one retention is like 20, 20%, like you should have spotted that already earlier. 
Yeah. Yeah. I like it. That's why I like having, being able to talk to both sides. That's why I love the podcast. Like I'm sure you're, you're experiencing the same thing. So <laughs> well over a year for you, but yeah, I, I love that stuff too. The want to move on to monetization. And I wonder if you can provide us with some insights on whether, you know, what types of monetization strategies tend to work always across all apps, if there is such a thing. And like, what are some of the mistakes that you see game developers making when it comes to monetization too? Yeah, I think like, well, let's first talk about in-game ads. Uh, a lot of people, uh, like back in the day when mobile was coming up, ads were still like thought about like, yeah, this is going to bring the quality so much down. Yeah. But eventually it really became something that, you know, if there is a game out there that doesn't have ads, I think Supercell is still without any ads inside their games. It's still... I think the the whole thing about like saying that it's bad to have ads doesn't have any material like effect anymore. It it should be that, you know, if you're thinking about like a different kind of user, you're going to have thousands of players, not all of them will be spending, but a lot of them would love a rewarded uh, video ad. Like that kind of functionality mm-hmm. has been already in place for a while. Um, and then if you think about like what, what the hyper-casual people are doing where they're forcing a lot of ads when you complete a level, when you fail a level, you're going to look at an ad. I think that the, the great thing about that is actually it creates a pacing, which is important in mobile games that you're not constantly like, it, there's, there can be this kind of thing of fatigue into like reacting quickly inside a game. So the ads really give you this kind of like mental like break from the hectic controls that you're doing in the game. Uh, so it, it, is, it cre- gives great like these breaks and breathing room for the players. And also something that, hey, this, this might be the right place to just put my phone down. Uh, I can't start a level for the next 30 seconds anyways. So it breaks the session at a natural point in a sense. So that, I think the big reason for people to quit mobile games is that they burn out there's too much content, too much, you know, you're constantly going in into a match in Brawl Stars. Like that's it's a crazy, crazy kind of like cadence that you need to keep up with. So ads are breaking that really nicely. And then thinking about like just in-app purchases, um, a lot of people say that it's really, really hard and casual to do in-app purchases. But I think it's so much about like how you, how you approach your offering uh, for your player, like if you want to keep the players playing for for weeks, for months, for years with your game, like a lot of people have managed to do that, I think there there are ways that you can uh, make them feel that okay, I I'm I've been investing so much time, I'm happy to put some money down to get some cool new things inside the game, some new experiences. So that's what you should be thinking about if you if you sort of have this notion that IAPs are really hard in casual gaming, I think it's like, what is the experience that you're offering? Uh, there are people who are willing to pay, just like there are people who don't want to pay, who want to watch ads, who don't want to watch ads. So it's a spectrum, big spectrum. Yeah, like, and I want to, we've seen this too with even non-games where, you know, I have this thing and I'm reading this book call fudge i always forget the title of it but anyways they're talking about options and how mm. we as humans we love options why because we feel like we're in control 
right? And we don't want to yep. be told what to do. It's called the catalyst, Jonah Berger. He's written a lot about like human behavior and all that stuff. And I sort of right. applied this with different things that we're doing. And so you think that they only want one thing and you try to give them a couple of things, but then it's like the more options you give, and you don't want to give too many options because that, that tends to mm. work opposite, but some three to five options, boom, they tend to feel more control. And then I like options, you know, Kim, because it's like you can sort of sway, put options together so you can sway the user into the option that you want them to kind of pick. And so I like that too, but IAP is a good one. Yeah. Yep. It is. Anything on that end that you want to add? So we got yeah. pacing, which I love the video ads and I love that too. Like the reward of videos, you said it best. And I never heard anybody call it pacing wise, but I found those to be so effective because I did this video too. And I was like, oh, you just won this race, like fun run three, for example. And I was like, oh, it's great. And then do you want to double your points? Yes. And watch a video. It's like, it's a nice little break for me instead of like constantly playing. And I like the way you said it was like, Hey, we get fatigued. Like we're just going to be like, we're playing too much. Okay. Yeah. Next game type of thing. And so it does add that nice break to it. And it's yeah. a win-win yeah, for everybody. It's- yeah, it's not what, what your kind of like brain wants <laughs> in a, or what it's telling you, you know, to take a break. But it's actually super healthy to keep the players playing for a longer time and to watch ads. So, and to finally buy an IAP later down the line. Yeah. I, you know, it made me think about these workouts that I like to do called HIT, high intensity interval training. And it's, it is just that like the Tabata, for example, 40 seconds on, 20 second break. You just go hard, right? For 40 seconds. And you, and you know that you got a 20 second break and it sort of tricks the mind. Like, and I always feel like I get a way better workout because it's a, it's always moving. It feels like it's always moving. I get to do a little bit more. So kind of leverage yeah. certain things from other industries too. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Well, let's end with this. You IPO'd. Congrats on that. I know a lot of people, you know, business owners, it's like, man, am I going to be doing this forever? You know what I mean? And so there was a nice little end cap, I guess, to it. What were some of the lessons learned from going IPO? Everything you dreamt mm. about, everything that we dream about. How about that? You know, Kim? Like, yeah, I think it's, it's sort of like the start of another company in a sense. It changes since you were a private company before an IPO and then you're a public company, it, it removes sort of the privacy of, you know, we don't need to tell anybody what we're doing, which, which creates a lot of, uh, like you need to change how you operate, how you, how you talk about stuff that you're building. It's, there's more sensitivity regarding everything. So it's just a new life that starts afterwards. Uh, with a lot of options, like what do you do with all the capital that's available from a public market place, uh, which which then opens up. Like there's really good examples uh, from, let's uh, think about like what's happening with Singa. They, they've leveraged their position in the public market to go after a lot of bigger gaming companies, just acquiring like peak games mm-hmm. for 1.6 billion. Like, that's that's a huge acquisition but it wouldn't be possible if they wouldn't be a public company and then you, you got Steelfront in europe they bought storm eight uh candy rider uh Kixi in the states so it's they are also publicly traded they did like an offering to buy to you know sell shares in the public market to to use that capital to acquire these studios and to kind of like grow grow revenue uh, and I think that's that's where 
the public market and going and doing an IPO really shines. But you have to know that it changes sort of like how you operate. I think one of the things that the public market isn't really good at is understanding the hit-driven nature of gaming. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you might, like, like let's take Supercell. They've, uh, in the last, like, how many years? Three years, they've launched one game, uh, which is Brawl Stars. But they they came out with Rush Wars last year. Like, if they would have been a publicly listed company, they would be, like, like just getting hammered at the moment in the public market because they're not performing even though they're the, probably the, the dream company for anybody in gaming to go and work at, mm-hmm. they would still like the public market would give them like an, an F at the moment, you know, kick them down. So that's, I think that's the thing you need to think about in gaming is like, why do you go public? It's not about like, you know, you're going to have, you know, a great time killing a lot of game projects that don't work even though you have the cash to do that because the public market wants returns but then if you start operating like zynga or somebody who then builds builds the company builds the value for the shareholders through acquisitions where they're basically buying hit games you know it's like buying you know peak with uh tune blast toy blast uh so, yeah, I think that's that's sort of like you need to think about like what do you want to achieve with the, the IPO. Well, anything you want to cover that we miss? I'm going to make sure we plug your your podcast, your blog, your courses too, but anything that you want to make sure we cover from a game development, helping the game developers on that end. Yeah, the, uh, so if there's developers out there, I really uh, want you to check out my site. It's EliteGameDevelopers.com. Uh, especially the templates that I have there on the site. There's like a bunch of different ways that you can like, there's a, like a spreadsheet for a cap table. If you want to build out a cap table or stock options for your company, uh, advisor agreements, if you want to bring nice. on a startup advisor, things like that. So I'm, I'm just creating more and more every week. Uh, last week I created like this kind of like a, pre-mortem which is the opposite of a post-mortem after a games project where you actually think about how the project will fail before you start the project so there's a template for that as well how you can run a meeting like that so yeah go to elitegamedevelopers.com there's a lot of stuff there yeah i will link that into the show notes as well check out the templates it is really really cool the cash flow projection template you've got the board meeting the advanced retention metrics ebook which is a very cool one i think that's very valuable to people so definitely check that out and then go to elite game developers he's got some free courses too where you can learn about the faq start with the why and then how do you pitch your games company to investors as well that's a paid product but some free product too so once again it is elite game developers the podcast is there as well yo kim this has been absolutely amazing but let's go to the big finish i didn't tell you that this is coming so i'm gonna catch you by surprise here but give us one app and it could be an app or a game that you definitely think that we should check out man (laughs) i'll give you Uh, one if you want time to think yeah um what would be a really interesting one? Yeah, I'll give my favorite game of all time on mobile. Okay. Uh, 
which is the Marvel Contest of Champions. Do you know that one? I don't play those type of ones. I like these like casual games. I've been playing Retro Bowl a lot, which is, I don't know if you're familiar, but it's like Techno Bowl back in when I was young on my little Game Boy. <laughs> and my son's yep. been playing it. He's on season like seven now. I'm only on season two. So he, I started playing it one day. Just I found it featured and I played it like all morning. But he's like zoomed past me. So oh okay, <laughs> and yeah. I, there's there's a lot. Like I I love uh, Brawl Stars a lot. So all the Supercell games are really cool. Yeah, they are. Uh, you you can't really sort of like leave those games ever. <laughs> it feels like. What's a lesson that took you the longest to learn? And it could be personal or business. To what like? Not everybody needs to like not every game entrepreneur needs to build a supercell to be fulfilled i love that we'll end with that the website once again is elite game developers the blog the podcast the templates go check it out elite game developers in your favorite podcast app or on the web elitegamedevelopers.com yo kim this has been absolutely amazing thank you so much for doing this and anytime you want to come back man feel free you got an open invite that Thanks, Steve. We'll do that. Thank you guys for listening, and I'll see you on the next chat. Thanks for listening to the App Masters Podcast. For show notes and amazing app marketing content, check out appmasters.co.